This is a conspiracy. That's what this is. One big damn conspiracy! And everyone's in on it! I know what's going on. Did IQs just drop sharply while I was away? person is smart. People are dumb, panicky, dangerous animals, and you know it. Did you see the memo about this? Just when I think you couldn't possibly be any dumber, you go and do something like this. Don't you see what this means? Welcome to episode 45 of Your Missing the Point podcast, where we discuss the weird, the wonderful, and the downright bizarre aspects of life, as we have conversations with people from all over the world. Well, my greatest fears over the past 12 months have come into fruition. After a win against the Voice to Parliament referendum, the federal government have been biding their time and waiting to push through the misinformation disinformation bill. While we spent the majority of the year fighting against the Voice, quietly in the background, the Australian Labor government have been using it as a grand distraction to put forward the bill that will not only limit our speech, but dictate the reality of the world according to any political party that is willing to wield it. The power over truth, or the power of what they deem to be truth, to be more precise. Tonight we have some of the most dedicated women in this space pushing back against the dismiss bill. Let us welcome two of the minds behind Bin the Bill campaign, Franny and Teresa. Welcome, ladies. Thanks, Drew. It's great to be here. Bye. Hi, Franny. Uh, it's actually great to be having a conversation with you ladies outside of a an X or formerly Twitter space in a bit more of a, a laid back conversation. So this should be really great. Now, yeah. Franny, there's some really interesting information that's come out over the last day. We started this whole conversation behind the scenes um, with the assumption that we only had five days until the government was going to put this bill on the table in the last parliamentary sitting week, the 27th to be precise. But you might have some good news for us. Can, are you able to elaborate on that? Sure. Uh, yeah, I, I I was worried as well, I was, uh, same as you, that I thought it's a sneaky time of year to put forward legislation in the last sitting week before Christmas. And I thought, oh, they're going to pull a Swifty on us. But since then, uh, I spent today ringing around some of the offices. And at first it was it was hard to get a straight answer. Um an independent I called, David Pocock, said, no, not, we've heard nothing about it. Yet another Labor MP kind of insinuated that they can introduce legislation whenever they feel like at any time. So even though it wasn't on the timetable at the moment, um, you know, it was a possibility. But in the end, I got through to the actual communications minister's office, Michelle Rowland, and they called me back and said that it was definitely not on the cards for it to be um, introduced next week, which uh, if if it's the case, uh, which I think it would be, because that's probably the, the main source that you get it from, I'm, I'm extremely relieved uh, to hear that. Yeah, it's great that it might be giving us a little bit of respite because I think this caught a lot of us off guard. Um, like I said in the intro, we'd been so focused on the voice referendum that I can recall being in spaces with both of you lovely ladies back in the day at the start of the referendum campaign, mentioning that as important as that campaign was, I felt like with my little tinfoil hat on that it was this big distraction and taking away from bigger things happening behind the scenes. And I had a guttural feeling that they might try and push something through this year when all that had died down. And to my shock and surprise, it kind of happened. Now, we do have a little bit of breathing room now, but I don't think we should be complacent on this. If anything, being caught with our pants down realistically with only five days, that really put us into action. We had a lot of great ideas of how we can spread information about this bill, um, the the possibilities of what it can achieve and can't achieve, and how we can try and at least put speed bumps in the way of it and try to wake some people up to what's going on. Now, the interesting thing I found about this bill is that it has a a non-party background, as it were. It seems like 
not only Labor are fully on board with this, but the Liberals are as well. If we go back to some of its its foundings, the Liberals had actually spoke about putting something this like this together under the Morrison government, which fundamentally kind of fell away on them. But it's the Labor government who have really put this together and have actually put it on paper and are ready to put this forward as a bill, as a proposed law. So what are your thoughts about how we approach this? Because a lot of people would see there's no point in approaching Labor because they're the party putting it forward. There's no point approaching Liberal because naturally as the opposition, they're going to oppose it. But my gut feeling is that there possibly could be Liberal members who could cross the floor on this. What are your thoughts, Franny? Yeah, absolutely. That's what I'm worried about. So, you know, the government has the numbers in the House and where they don't have the numbers is the Senate. So initially uh, that's where we were focused and that's because um, if Labor and the Greens vote for this, uh, they still need two, I think, and they usually get that from the independents. Um and so we were hammering the independence officers and writing to them. And uh, I'm lucky to have the Canberra independent, David Pocock, and um, someone that we, we're also familiar with on X, uh, Tim, he has Jackie Lambie. So that was another one to, to uh, get onto. And, uh, but yeah, amongst all of that, even if we got every independent on side, given the history that you outlined, there could be a couple of uh, Liberal senators in there that are not opposed to this bill at all and may cross the floor. So um, contacting them is definitely worth worth doing. Absolutely. And, and there's probably some big reasons why they wouldn't overly be opposed to this because the law that's being proposed, or the bill rather, that could lead into a law it doesn't lend itself to any side of politics. It could potentially be used and taken advantage by the left or the right. It doesn't really matter who's in power. The openness, the broadness, the scope of this is so so grey that it really it could be weaponised by anyone who wants to take advantage of it. Now, for our international listeners, um, particularly the Americans who jump onto this show and have a listen, this is somewhat similar to what your Restrict Act is uh, being spoken about. So it's a restriction of... Um, what the government determines is misinformation, disinformation. Reality, it's the government determining what is truth and what is mistruth. Um, it's probably the biggest Orwellian nightmare that we could ever have thought would happen in a Western democracy. And yet again, it seems to be happening in Australia a lot earlier than other Western democracies. I've often said Australia seems to be the testing ground for many of these initiatives. Uh, and it seems to be ringing true. Teresa, would you like to add anything to what uh, this bill is and how it could be used? So we don't have a lot of information of what exactly is in the bill, but the brief outline that we've been given is that it's going to target um, your speech online primarily and what the government calls um avoiding misinformation and disinformation, but nobody actually knows the true definition of that or what they're trying to target. So we don't know who is deeming what is truth and what is fact. We don't know what body of people will be deciding whether your constitutionally protected speech is, you know, doesn't actually exist or what you're saying is truthful or what, it, what it's not, you know, if it's not true. So it's quite a daunting um prospect to see because with so little information given out to us, they're still trying to push this through so quickly. And it I makes me wonder why. Yeah, and I think the danger in it is Australia always has a very loose understanding of what free speech in our country is. We don't have the amendments in the Constitution like the American system has. We have an implied freedom of speech, um, and that is on itself very murky. When you throw something like this into the mix, it can be very dangerous. Now, a lot of people might look at this and think, oh, it's just stopping cookers and conspiracy theorists from spreading mistruths on the internet. And they may not see that as an issue. The problem I see with it is it almost leaves the door ajar, leaving it open for someone in the future, some form of totalitarian, some kind of a regime, whether it's left or right, to kick the door open and use it to really hammer the truth and what the people should be able to say and shouldn't say. It's you almost... know, what I, sorry, I'll just say what I find yeah, most egregious 
most egregious about this proposed bill is that the media and the government have chosen to exempt themselves from this. So it's not about, you know, increasing transparency or making sure that everything out there is truthful or factual. It's literally about whatever the government wants to put out, whether it's a Labor government or Liberal government, it doesn't matter. Um, you won't be able to say anything against that. And I find that ex- even the media, we know that the media consistently puts out false and misinformation, but they'll be exempt from this. Yeah, and if anything, the last three years have really proven that to a lot of yeah. people and I think has woken up a lot of main, what you consider normies or mainstream Australians. I liken this bill and the openness it has and the lack of definition as being like a slow leak. It's slowly dripping away, and at the moment there's only a small amount of water, but over time it has the capacity to flood the house, um, especially if we're not paying attention to it. And like you said, if the media outlets and the government are exempt to this, they can push a narrative that may literally be false and not true, and we don't have the ability to combat that That's as citizens true. or citizen journalists. Yeah. And, I mean, any if you're living in a democracy, you need free speech. You cannot live in a free society if you are not able to speak freely. It's It sounds cliche, but it's true. If you can't, you know, share your ideas or your opinions with people, criticise the government or even, you know, make informed decisions, you're not in a democracy. You're in a dictatorship. Absolutely. Now, this brings me back to what you said yesterday in a space, Franny, that a lot of this and even our current understanding of free speech in our country seems to be quite at odds with the international community's definition of free speech and how Australia advocates for free speech on a global level, yet we're willing to bring something like this in. Are you able to elaborate on that at all? Yeah, so um, just to go back a step, what the bill actually does is targets the social media companies and um requires them to present a set of standards to police us by on on their platform and the penalties for not 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 policing that enough or to the satisfaction of ACMA which is our Australian communication media authority uh will be the penalty for that will be 2% of their annual turnover. So with such a massive um, penalty to be applied, I'm afraid that the social media platforms will uh, over-police it and we'll find that if we do, you know, we write or say or post, and this covers music, memes, entertainment as well, if we do anything that could um, jeopardise that set of standards, we it'll just they'll overdo it um, in order to protect themselves. And then the second part of the bill is that if their standards aren't up to scratch, as with what ACMA agree with, and they are not policing them well enough to ACMA's satisfaction, ACMA can then create the set of standards, and they can decide what the standards should be and then again if they're not happy with the way they're being um policed by this platform the penalty is five percent of their annual turnover so they'll be so shit scared that you know i think we'll find posts disappearing people being suspended things going off into the ether and yeah it's, it's at odds with as you mentioned it's at odds with what we've signed up to in some of our international um, agreements but when I read through those agreements there was always a little clause that said um, that if we had a law you know free speech is our right free speech is important free expression is something that you know society needs but um, the little little clauses in there covered off unless that country has a law so bringing in a law like this kind of I've feel possibly makes it um, all those things we've signed up to. You know, we look good, we look great, um, but once we've got a law, it's kind of null and void. It's almost international virtue signalling at that point. We're saying we're doing something at a international That's level right. and standing up yeah. for the little countries, but at the same time we're really going down hard on our own people. I find it quite you know- interesting that a lot of Western democracies are going down the route of a misinformation, disinformation bill, internet online safety bills, um, the American Restrict Act, all corresponding around similar times of when Elon Musk actually took over Twitter. Like he put himself as a freedom of speech advocate and now the, the international community in the world 
is quite fearful of that and there it's like a knee-jerk reaction. What what would you say about that, Teresa? You know, I honestly think it, what is true or what is false today could be true tomorrow and nobody has the right to silence that because you're literally going to be filtering out and high, you won't have access to what is actually true. You know, a perfect example, I have lost several accounts on Twitter, um, been suspended, as uh, have a lot of people who followed President Trump over the years. And at the time, I was severely, uh, I was suspended about 18 times because I posted about Hunter Biden, which at the time, even the New York Post got censored and got suspended over. And what do you know, two or three years later, with a change of government or a change in their house, um, you know, what do you know? It, it ends up being true. It ends up being factual. It ends up being that, you know, it wasn't, it didn't need to be censored. It didn't need to be you lose your account over it. So what is not exactly factual today in people's eyes could be the truth tomorrow. So we really have to try and protect that as well. Um, I have the same. Teresa. I mean, so many examples. COVID, you know, even yeah. just saying something like you can still get COVID Origin, if you had the vaccination. Well, yeah. you know, that would have been taken off social media. And now we find that things like that are actually true. I had the same issue with YouTube. Um, (laughs) I took quite a few hits on that very quickly for just stating back during when COVID was really in its infancy that ivermectin could possibly be a a relevant treatment for COVID. And now, after the fact and the beauty of hindsight, is we know it is a relevant treatment as being used around the world. Um, How time changes and the truth seems to change. Not necessarily the science, but the truth. inevitably comes you out. You wear a tinfoil hat like most of us, you know, we're, we're pretty much kicking goals with the amount of conspiracies that are deemed false or a conspiracy that turns out to be true. So what are they actually trying to censor off the internet? What are they trying to call misinformation? They're trying to get rid of what is actually truth because they don't want anybody else to know that is truth. So I, I just, I don't see how they can get away with it when we are supposed to be a democracy. It's the idea of they're almost trying to weed out critical thinking and critical thinking in itself is questioning. And the average citizen should have the ability to question a government's motives, a government's reasoning behind putting a bill through, a government's position on anything. And if that's taken away, what happens to the two-party system? Because naturally and traditionally, the opposition... 98% 98% of the time would stand for, firm against what the, the current government has to say. Well, if the government yeah. in power says, no, that's mistruth, well, what happens to the opposite, the opposition of the party that's so trying to fight we, against that? How do we campaign, for example, in the next election? How do we um, put up any type of opposition if, you know, your particular party is in opposition? How are we supposed to campaign or help people or, you know, guide people towards what the facts are and what to vote for. We technically will have that COVID mask fused to our mouth permanently because we won't be able to say anything. So. Oh, yeah. I mean, and we're all adults, for goodness sake. I mean, for goodness sake, can't we be trusted? If someone wants to say the earth's flat, if someone wants to say a man can only be a man or a woman can only be a woman, or someone wants to say we never went to the moon, well, let's talk about it. Let's discuss it. Let's debate it. Let's put our arguments forward. Let's look at all the research. Let's have a conversation about it. And let's make up our own minds. We don't need we don't need the government or some sort of standards telling us what we can and can't say and treating us like we're children. And one of my favourite quotes from Ricky Gervais is, you know, if an asshole's being an asshole, you've got the right to call him an asshole. And then yeah. you go back and forth and you chat talk about it. And that's the way it should be. I think that's a funny thing about all of this is that when a government brings in a ban or a limit or some kind of legislation that stops the, the broader community from doing something, they always say it's in our best interest and it's because of the most dangerous possible outcome that could come from it. Let's just say a knife ban comes into Australia. Their argument would be stabbings are on the rise, so we've limited um, the average citizen from having a knife in this country. Let's just say that's the case. Well, every time we use their own their own analogy, well, the possible danger out of misinformation, disinformation, Bill, is we could be goose-stepping into an Orwellian, fascistic, Marxist, Leninist future 
And they'll say, oh, you're being hyperbolic. You're a tinfoil hat wearing cooker. That'll never happen. But they use the exact same method against us when they uh, demonize the way Australians interact in our freedom. I honestly think that this type of bill is just pandering to the woke snowflakes on the left who anyone who doesn't agree with them must be a racist or a bigot or any type of um, slur that they've got. If you can't um, openly debate somebody online, whether you have opposing opinions or not, then you shouldn't be online. You, you, you haven't passed the test or the pub test to be able to use the internet as an adult. Yeah, no, no one has any uh, qualms about the internet being a wild place. Trolls exist. Yeah, exactly. Terrible people on the internet exist, as they do in real life. Um, there's just so much about this and the, the potential. You know, it comes also down to when things like science, we were parroted off, trust the science, trust the science, trust the science, with them completely ignoring the fact that science is an ever-changing, ever-evolving um Thing. You can't just say one hypothesis is going to be the be-all and end-all. It's always going to change. Now, without any sort of free speech, how will people discuss ideas? How do you share your new discoveries, whether it's been proven as a fact or not yet? How is technology going to advance? How are people socially going to progress if you can't discuss and share your open ideas? Like, I just it, it blows my mind that they think we don't have a right to say any of that anymore. How do we keep, say, big corporations, uh, multimedia magnets, politicians, governments to account on their poor choices and poor decision-making, poor policies, if they can dictate and wield the power of truth? Yeah, exactly. What do we do as a citizenship? Over here in WA, okay, um, we've been told that it's a week of temperatures above. It's a very poor example but we've been told temperatures of above 35 degrees everything we've had pushed over our phones for the last week from um all the weather apps is we're in a severe heat wave you know it's a high climate um emergency stay indoors keep you know all these alarmist um tactics now if we're in a situation where this bill had passed and we were not allowed to speak freely 99 percent of people in wa know that this is completely normal it is normal for this time of year. And if you look up the statistics from, you know, 1996, we were actually in hotter temperatures than what we were in this year, in this month. But without that free speech, we're just going to have to adhere to the climate alarmism and every agenda that they're pushing us through because we don't have the right to speak up and say that's not actually true. It's almost like the old analogy, don't let the truth get in the way of a good story. And I'm yeah. going to go back to something you mentioned that we spoke about in one of your spaces, Franny, that... Nobody really seems to know about this. People within our kind of sphere and our circle speak about it. We know about it. The average Australian has no idea this is going on. And that should be very concerning for what you would consider to be the respected institutions in our society, medicine, law. Um, I say some law, a lot of the law system knows about it already, but medicine, um, education, police force, a lot of these bodies and groups in our society should have big concerns over it. What happens in the future if, hospital ramping, say, in Victoria, continues to skyrocket and tons and tons more deaths per week occur that could have been easily prevented if the hospital ramping and ambulance ramping wasn't occurring. Would a paramedic be able to speak out about it? Would a union be able to speak out about it? We're not even seeing the the groups that are supposed to represent the workers and the people fighting back on this, which is a huge concern. Look, I think... I think there's laws in place already to stop those people from speaking out. I know public servants have fairly strict laws. Um, fairly, there's there's legislation as well of code of conduct. So, to be honest, a lot of people already can't speak out. Um, but this just makes it so much worse. Uh, so, you know, and even if you're an anonymous account, but you were a policeman or a nurse or something, and you want it to have a voice. You already have to be really, really careful. And there's been a case of a public servant who had an anonymous account on Twitter as it was back then. I think she worked for immigration or something like that. Um, you couldn't tell who she was. She wasn't giving away state secrets or anything. She was just uh, putting out a few views and they hunted her down. They they found out who she was. It took them a while they uh she lost her job i think she appealed it she uh, i think in the end she lost 
Like her life was hell. So to a certain extent, there are already laws in place that are silencing us. And this would just be the icing on the cake because those views wouldn't even appear. They they would be deleted by the social media company. Those accounts would be suspended. And if they were in doubt at all, I think they'd they'd suspend and delete anyway, just because of the risk of such a huge fine. So, you know, it's it's kind of like it's already, you know, a lot of countries have already lost to a certain extent some of their freedom of speech. But this would be, you know, those ideas wouldn't even be allowed to see the light of day. And those conversations, those debates, they would not be happening. Even in spaces on X where people are having conversations, that's that's considered, you know, our, our private emails aren't covered. So a, a one-on-one channel isn't covered. But any type of conversation that's open to more than one person uh, would be, yeah, I, I think we'd be censored, censored to the crap because um, they just wouldn't want to risk these massive fines and the ramifications. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, and that causes ideas to go underground as well. So you've got people that you could debate climate about. I've had debates online before and people have said that's a good point. You know, I'm thinking twice about this misinformation disinformation bill. I mean, there was a whole massive group of people who thought it would be fantastic because it would silence Murdoch media. And I said, well, hang on a minute. Um, Murdoch media is exempt. The media, the mainstream media, your citizen journalists aren't exempt and your independent journalists aren't exempt. And perhaps the people who might speak out or have a different view or some of the ones that are actually unearthing some of the facts. But those mainstream, and that's why the mainstream media has been so silent on all of this, because they're exempt. And I said, so you, you, you're clapping your hands and cheering and thinking, I can get rid of Murdoch media. And I said, but have a look at the actual bill. Murdoch media is exempt. And you might think it's fantastic right now. But when the Liberal government get into power um, or people you don't like, even down the track in the future, just say there's another political party with more nefarious aims or, you know, it, it might be okay now. It might be okay under this government. It might be okay under the next government. But it leaves the door open for someone whose intentions aren't so good to have an immense amount of power over our freedom of speech. It's, it's extremely dangerous. Brownie, and everyone ima- should be worried. Both sides should you, be worried. Can you imagine if we had, by a stroke of luck, an ultra-conservative government come into power who was against abortion and was against LGBTQ and was against drag queens and trans? And because of this bill, none of those people who actually approve and stand up for those values will be able to voice their opinions, have their voices heard and speak out. You know, it goes both ways. It's not just a right issue or a left. It's it'll affect everyone. And this is the thing: the 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 philosophical fallacy in all of this. You don't combat bad ideas by banning them, because, like you said, Franny, it drives it underground, where it festers and grows and becomes extremely toxic. So the big the big points of view at the moment in Victoria would be the rise of national socialism. There's a lot of NATSAT boys out there. We're throwing out Roman salutes, getting a lot of airtime. Very small percentage of our population. I consider them yeah. irrelevant because their ideas are so outdated and ridiculous. But by driving their their opinions and their ideas underground makes it, it worse. Makes it better. Yeah. You, you destroy bad ideas with good ideas. That's the whole point of social discourse and debate. You expose people to your thinking. And you know what? You can change people's minds in conversations. And if we don't have that ability to do so, it creates a very dangerous precedent, not only for our speech to be taken away, but for something dangerous to boil away and fester below society's level to burst out later on the scene. You know, our government craps on about diversity and equity, inclusion, all this, you know, buzzwords from Larry Fink. But if you don't have any type of free speech, you are creating spaces where those diverse opinions, you know, making your society more tolerant, understanding, they will all disappear. It actually reduces diversity. It's counterproductive to what they're parroting off and making us parrot off. So, Yes, diversity of thought is not a good thing to these things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I just would love to know who thinks what their version of the truth will look like. 
and who is writing that. I was I found out the other day that Klaus Schwab has a new book called The Narrative, which ties in very well with this entire push for misinformation, disinformation across the world. You know, it's it's it doesn't take a conspiracy theorist to know where this is coming from. Well, this is why 1984 was a warning more than yeah. anything else. It's it's yeah. two two plus two equals five. If the government deems it so, it becomes so. If we you wanted know, to, this is an extreme example. I could walk out tomorrow. I know the sky is blue. The sky has been blue my entire life. The media and the government start telling me it's purple. Actually, and we're just going to have to say yes. And we have to say yes on something so yeah. minuscule. But what if it becomes something that endangers fellow Australians' lives, puts certain groups into classifications? Now, this is where my biggest concerns come from this. And again, I am a conspiracy theorist, so take that with a <laughs> healthy glass of scepticism there. But the danger <laughs> is you could have a Marxist-Leninist-style government get in, or it's opposite, fascist government to get in, and they could deem certain members of the Australian citizen population as domestic terrorists based on whatever they want. Maybe it's growing a backyard vegetable patch. If the government dictates that as a terrorist act through misinformation, disinformation bill combined with our terrorism laws and all these things which stack on top, we're in a very dangerous place because they can dictate the reality of the society we live in and the the truth in which we engage with. Absolutely. They can force us to all drive electric vehicles and put batteries on our houses. And even though they blow up and they are actually a huge risk to society. We're just going to have to comply and go along with it. No, Teresa, they don't blow it. up. That is missing disinformation. They are perfect. <laughs> they work. You know, and your insurance won't cover you for it. But, you know, the government told us we have to do it. We can't speak out against it. You know, it's just, where does it end? The fact that most of Australia doesn't even know about this is, it's very, very concerning. The fact that, you know, no one on the radio speaks about it. Nobody on your know, the crappy 7, 9 and 10 at, you know, 6 p.m. whenever they are on TV. Nobody speaks about it. Sky News is off on some bloody app. You have to actually go and seek it out if you want to listen to Sky News. So it's left up to people like us, just ordinary Australians, who to try and get this message out there that we need to we need to contact our senators and our MPs and make sure that they do not vote for this bill in any way, shape or form. And if they are going to, they're going to lose votes. They will not be in their positions for, for long. The interesting thing is I find that now, this is just objectively speaking from my own interactions. The majority of the boomer generation are so trusting in government, they don't see this as the bad thing yet. They don't see the potential outcomes of it ever happening. But if you were to go to their parents, the greatest generation of all time, the wartime generation, could you imagine trying to explain to them what their governments have the potential to do? What would their reaction be to that? How could they even think that it got to this point? I don't know how breaking has become so pathetic i don't know how they came from parents who were so vocal there was half their music was about raging against the government you know and then they have a gen the following generation becomes so weak and so i don't know if not masculine is the right word but they've been like emasculated to the point where the government has become their one source of truth they literally believe everything the government says without any form of critical thought where is their discernment where is their healthy skepticism gone because their parents had it but that boomer generate i don't understand what actually occurred to them was it because they didn't have the internet or you know what caused that it's like it's the domesticated generation yeah. And they've never they've never had they've never had to be scared, you know. So that this whole she'll be right mate attitude, they're not you know, those those people that fought for our freedoms would be rolling over in their graves now if they knew what we were giving away. And every time we give away a little bit of freedom, thinking it'll be fine, you know, and people be be tweeting to me you know, you've got nothing to worry about if you're not spreading misinformation and disinformation. And they're not thinking about the future or a time when, you know, perhaps it won't be she'll be right, mate. Perhaps perhaps we will have to fight again. Perhaps we will have someone in charge of the country that we can't completely trust and that hasn't got our best interests at heart. Why do we keep giving away these freedoms and we don't think ahead? Uh, I, and I think those boomers have just never 
you know, they've, they've always lived a good, comfortable life. And, and I mean, COVID woke a few people up, seeing the powers that we've given away um, to the governments. And you just think, hang on a minute, how, they've got no right to do this. And you look up the legislation, it's like, oh, yeah, they have. We allowed them to do this. We allowed yeah. them to take this. At a time before there was a pandemic or before we were worried, we all thought, oh, yeah, that sounds reasonable. She'll be right. I don't mind if the government, you know, does this, that and the other. And it's only when it's misused do we realise, oh, hang on a minute, maybe we shouldn't have done that. You know, Australia as a population, we're very multicultural, right? We have quite a high level of migration. And I've found that a lot of the migrants in Australia, I'm not saying they don't hold our values because I think they try to assimilate as best as possible, but they don't have the same fire in their belly to protect the Australian laws and rights that we have because they never actually grew up here. And they tend to be a lot more compliant with what the government is putting out without questioning it because, you know, for the most of them, they're just so happy that they're here. They're just so happy that they're in this country. They don't really feel the need to or the right to speak out against the government because they haven't um, they haven't really lived here long enough or been around this culture long enough to speak out or want to speak out unless it's something close to their own um, race or religion or something like that. So, so to protect the Australian values, they're kind of like, well, we've just got here. <laughs> Yeah, broadly speaking, they don't have the multi-generational skin in the game that Anglo-Australians or Indigenous Australians have had because yeah. we've been here a lot longer. I'm going to pose a thought experiment to both of you, and it's interesting that you mentioned um, unless it's targeted towards their cultural or ethnic type of groups or persuasions. The current mm. conflict in the Middle East right now in Gaza Strip, what's happening, if this disinformation, misinformation bill was in effect now, it could go one of two ways depending on what government's in power. If it's a left-leaning government, they could be very anti. Uh, they could definitely be very anti-Semitic on this, and seem to go down the route of um, some some uh, really disgusting slurs around people of the Jewish faith. Could also go for a fascist government, might add as well. Or you could go the opposite way. It could go into a very right-wing government who are very war hawkish, and they could label anyone who's been to one of these protests as a terrorist sympathizer, potential national security threat. And that would yeah. be the truth. So you could have a very 1939-esque um, danger towards the Jewish community, or you could have a very much Islamophobic, everyone's a terrorist, everyone's out to get me, um, 2006 type of effect, where 2001, 2006 effect of like the, uh, the war in the Middle East when the Americans invaded Iraq and Afghanistan. So it can go multiple ways. Like you said earlier, Fran, it's not a political um issue it's it's a it's a law issue the law in itself is just so flawed and if it ever gets through i have grave concerns not for for myself but for the next generation for my future kids and my grandkids and to where this could possibly go it may not happen in my lifetime the extreme thing may happen three generations down the track but we've left the door open for it to happen yeah especially for the future generations to come i can't imagine the type of world they're going to grow up in and live in where any original thought that they have cannot be expressed. How do people grow? How do people develop? It'll just be whatever the government wants to program into your brain, pretty much. Absolutely. We're tiptoeing on this now, and we've kind of covered the crux and the mainstream idea of what this is about. But, Teresa, I know you like to walk the line of conspiracy theory. <laughs> so so I'm going to pick your brain a little bit, and we're going to hypothesise um, some future potential outcomes of this. I'm going right. to go back to the beginning of this whole idea and how this movement started and some of the, the key players in this. Julia Inman Grant. Now, this woman who is our e-safety commissioner for Australia is very invested in this, but she has some very uh, questionable beginnings. So Julia... I learned a lot about her the other night. Yes. Carry so, on, carry on. So, yes, she was at the age of 18 or 19, rejected a job offer from the CIA, very interesting in that fact in itself. In her late teens, she rejected that. She rejected it, but not went on to work in DC for the Congress. So this is interesting in itself that she's somehow been put into the echelons of the strongest government in the world, the strongest military, the strongest spy agencies in the world, and she's working in amongst those people rubbing feet with them. As an Australian. As an Australian, right? Yeah. 
Perfectly normal. She then worked for Microsoft for 17 years as one of a, a government agent liaison with them as a global safety director for most of that time. So she was almost laying the pavework for what's currently happening across multiple Western countries. The UK Safe Online Bill, uh, what's happening here, the Restrict Act in the States. Then you go ahead, she worked for Twitter prior to Elon. She got the arse when Elon kind of went in and just started cutting jobs left, right, and center, getting rid of the cancer that was inside the corporation. And now she's the e-safety commissioner for Australia. Now, if I was to go along with my little conspiracy theorist mind, it almost seems as she was placed in those places. If not, she was bred to be in those situations and she's being groomed for some kind of level of power that we've yet to see. Potentially, Australia's first outright elected female prime minister that could have all the power in the world if she's laying the framework and foundations for her future leadership. Yeah, look, she is going to be our Australian version of Jacinda Ardern. She clearly has been groomed for this role from whatever age. I I, I find it hard to believe that CIA was offering her a job in her late teens. I don't know many Australian teenagers who would be approached by spy agencies, you know, because it's not really a priority to the teens right now to go work for spy agencies. I feel like the poor cousin because I was only like... a approached by the FBI, so don't call me, right? No, not even ASIO, not even the Australian (laughs) spy agency, you know, CIA of all, you know, what's next, five eyes? So it's pretty clear that her entire resume has been carefully sculpted and put in place so that she can pretty much silence the country with all her background, all her knowledge and all the different roles that she's played. I don't see her being of any benefit to the Australian people, but I can see her being a very valuable tool to the Australian government, regardless of who's in power. And she's probably going to be Elon's worst nightmare. Absolutely. And like I said, all this seemed to just, the catalyst was Elon taking over over um, Twitter and, and making X. Yeah. He, he set himself up as trying to have it as the free speech platform. And he seems to be copying it from every direction at the moment with Julia, who seems to be quite burnt on this, that she was fired, and it seems to be her own personal vendetta. But yes. all of us are caught in the crossfire of this, which is quite concerning. She now, probably we... had Elon derangement syndrome. <laughs> 100% she does. <laughs> now, in your wildest She certainly dream... does. She, she's got a problem with Elon. Um, I just wanted to mention that um, Australia has already slapped Elon Musk with a $600,000 fine. And she was being interviewed the other day, carrying on about child safety and how this, how much this fine, $610,500 fine, you know, how much X deserves it, et cetera. And she's issued a, an official warning. And she seemed so happy and proud of herself that she was getting her own back. And, I mean, X hasn't even done anything wrong. All they did was request information from X on what they were doing to protect children. And apparently those responses came back and they didn't satisfy her. And she said some of them were were entirely blank or they provided incomplete and inaccurate responses. And so she was very pleased. She couldn't hide the smile off her face when she was talking about how in order to protect children, we've issued a $610,000 fine. Now, Elon has refused to pay it. <laughs> As he probably should. Let's back up for a moment. Let's back up. Let's back up. Protection of children. Where was she when she was actually at Twitter? There were far bigger issues online with Twitter and the protection of children, what they were exposed to. Exactly. And what did Elon actively go after and snuff out and reduce by a huge margin? Exactly that. So is she so just she projecting her own was, issues? No, I think she was part of, you know, the Twitter files where the governments had a backdoor into censoring everything that people were. Basically what they were doing back then with access to Twitter, they are trying to implement it now, but they're trying to legislate it. They're trying to be able to do this without having to go through the back door. They're basically saying we're going to come through the front door, we're going to smash it down, we're going to do what we want. Um, I've been trying to dig into her um 
family tree because I want to know. I feel like that would be quite interesting to see where she actually derives from, but there's not a lot about her. There's very little information about that out there. Give me a couple of weeks and I'll nut that one out. No doubt. <laughs> only, no doubt uh, she, she was only some... at X, X from 2014 to 2016. I think she worked with something to do with Singapore or in Singapore office or something like that. But, um, yeah, she's she's definitely on a vendetta. There's no doubt that she's probably got some kind of a uh, a bastard child connection to some kind of elite family around the world. They all seem to Absolutely. somehow, yeah. somewhere along the lines. Now, and she'll probably become our prime minister and then no. she'll do her damage and then she will end up at BlackRock because that's what they all do. At very least, she'll be a minister, the Ministry of Truth and actually develop something very similar. Now, in all of your wildest nightmares, Teresa, mm-hmm. what do you see as the worst possible outcome if this bill goes through? Because I think it's important to future project the dangerous outcomes so you can almost prepare for the what could happen and so you, how you can combat it and prevent it from occurring. What do you think is the, the worst possible outcome? Um... I think it comes down to the fact that if we look at it from the most alarming perspective is pretty much everything that we say online could be removed, right? So your account goes, you can't say whatever you want to say, whether it's for the politician, against the politician, whether it's for an agenda or against an agenda. But I think the worst possible scenario for me would be the amount of ideas and thoughts and solutions that are out there in people's minds that will never be able to be expressed and ever ever make it to light because there could be cures for medical ailments. There could be free energy. There could be several things that people would want to discuss, talk about, and bring to light that they could never do. And it just kills future generations. I didn't even um, think about the brain drain that could occur from this. You're absolutely yeah. right. If we're stopping the discourse online, we're stopping potential light bulb moments for people and breakthroughs in medicine right. and science and technology. This could be detrimental to the progression of humanity over the next hundred years. Yep. Yep. It's not just about us being able to say what we want to say. It's also about future generations being able to encourage them to think wide, think broad, let your ideas out, regroup, brainstorm. You won't be able to do any of that. How do you how do you how do you better yourself as a society? How do you evolve and grow if you are limited and restricted from doing that? You know exactly. I'm going to postulate an idea though. Mm. We ha- we have the extreme end of this of the negative side. I'm going to go the complete white pill moment on this. What if this is the catalyst for Australians to stand up, recognise our free speech in this country is not worth the paper it's written on? It's implied. And it pushes us to have some kind of bill, bill of a bill of yeah. rights in our country based on the American system where we have a true freedom of speech in this country. What if this gives us the proverbial kick up the ass to do something and really stand up for our inalienable rights? I think there's plenty of Australians right now who already want that, but we don't have a viable avenue to achieve that, whether it's through the political means or whether it's through grassroots. We just don't have any type of representation or people that will take this seriously, that will get this bill, lodge it into Parliament, get it passed, and you know actually work towards that. I think it's going to take a few generations or decades at least to to achieve that if we ever get the chance to. Hopefully we're getting the ball rolling as we speak. Yeah. Franny, yeah. Uh, uh, you've got I'll some just, gra- Can I just answer that Absolutely. question Go in relation? It. Go for oh, it. Oh, sorry. Um, In relation to the future, uh, my fear is that um, Elon Musk might decide I I just can't be bothered with Australia anymore. So already we saw um, an EU regulation that came in, the Digital Services Act, and, um, you know, these countries posturing and carrying on and threatening massive fines Elon just sort of suggested that if he wanted to, he could just take his social media platform, he could just take X out of Europe, make it inaccessible across Europe so that you couldn't even access it, um, and then he's fine. He still goes on. He's still got the rest of the world. Um, it's no skin off his nose. And I fear that if Australia continues carrying on like this and, you know, already issued a 610 
$5,000 fine, carrying on with threats in the misinformation, disinformation bill of civil penalties of 2% of your annual turnover or 5% of your annual turnover. So we're talking billions and billions of dollars. I mean, if I were Elon, I hope he's got the strength. He looks like he's got the strength to fight for free speech, but I wouldn't blame him if he just said, stuff this, I'm moving out of Australia, you won't be able to access my media platform anymore. And I hope to God he doesn't do that, and I don't think he will. I think he fight, he'll fight like we've seen with this this um, issue that's going on at the moment with the media. Media matters. Whatever that media, media group matters. is, yeah. yeah. He, he's prepared to fight to a certain extent. But I'm just I'm just disgusted with the Australian government for, you know, continuing to bully him and continuing to go after him. And I wouldn't be surprised if we just all of a sudden we Australians weren't part of the the town square, the social town square that X has become. And that would be a great, great loss. Yeah, and it would be God, imagine being stuck with just meta. Everyone would be driven to Telegram and then it'd be like that idea of the festering ideas underground because Telegram in itself really is the digital answer to that. It's where you go to where you don't want people to see conversations because you're concerned about your free speech and who's listening and who's watching. So you're putting a whole heap of paranoid people into one space. It's not going to yield the best results. No, but we become like China where we're only allowed to have WeChat and we're only allowed to have the specific internet sites that the government allows us to have. We're only allowed to talk on special platforms that they know are monitoring us. I mean, I don't want to go there. That's that's terrible. That's horrifying to think of. I think we really need to start reminding the government who pays their salaries. I don't care about the lobbyists and the corporate interests that actually hold them by the balls, but they are supposed to be accountable to the Australian people. They are supposed to work for us. They are not put in position to surveil us, to control us, and to basically take away every form. They are supposed to protect our human rights. They are not supposed to impose on them and remove them. They really need a a wake-up. They need a reminder of who they work for. They they themselves have become fat and lazy off the the government trough of money and and careers that just seem to last their entire working lives and not really working a day in their life. $50,000 salaries, for God's sake. Like, but at the same on. time, the Australian citizens become apathetic to it and allowed it to happen. So we both need a wake-up call as to what our yeah. roles are in society as well. Yes, we do. We've all had a crash course since COVID on how little rights we do have, what we thought we had versus what we actually do have. God, preaching to the choir here in Victoria. Franny, would you like to remind the listeners of what we can do to actually help try and block this spill we it seems like we've got some breathing room again we can take a breath and we can hopefully get some more days and time in to stop this what can we do to try and prevent this from happening great question um well we've created a website you know the most important thing we can do as Teresa mentioned is remind them remind the government they work for us and we need to make our voices heard so um i was extremely proud and and to see that 23,000 submissions came in to this bill from Australians and I I, I haven't you know can't read them all um, but about almost 3,000 of them I think are up on the the website now the the uh, department's website and they are overwhelmingly just everyday people your, your little heart starts pumping when you see that what they're writing, you know, they're worried. I'm worried for my family. I'm worried for my children. These people made an effort, 23,000 submissions, which is absolutely incredible. They made an effort to write in and the majority of them are speaking out against this bill. And I think it's had a massive impact. This The bill was delayed as a result of that. They have so many submissions to go through that they need time to go through them all. Um, we've already seen, I think the Christian lobby was extremely good at their job. So we've already seen them back down and say they're going to redraft the bill and they're going to put some religious exemptions and things in. Michelle Rowland has said she will definitely not consider taking out the government's exemption, which, I mean, you know, that's that's ridiculous. She spoke at the press club recently and uh, carried on about government announcements and 
during dangerous situations, we, we can't risk those announcements being taken off the internet. The bill doesn't say that. The bill just exempts the whole government from this thing. So we need to make our voices heard like those 23,000 people. And like already, when I ring officers and I talk to officers um, of my MPs, they say, um, oh, yeah, we've had a few calls today. Or, oh, yeah, we met with a group yesterday of people who were very concerned and again, I just feel so grateful to those people, so grateful to those Australians who are willing to speak out, willing to ring, willing to write an email and say, I will never consider voting for someone who would even consider a bill such as this that will tamper with Australia's freedom of speech. So we created um, a, a, a website and it's called in the bill.info, B I N T H E B I L L, in the bill.info. It's just a little info, it's very bipartisan. So, you know, it's it's something that we hope uh, will, will be, you know, both sides of government, no matter who you are, this, this website, you can go on there and you can click and have a little look at the bill and read the legislation yourself. And it sort of sets out how you write a letter or how you write a quick email, which which should take 10 minutes. I do big, long 10-paragraph ones, so mine take a bit longer. But, you know, it doesn't need to be like that. A little email from everyone. It's got a um, link to the APH, the Australian Parliament House website, where you can just put your postcode in and all your MPs pop up. And we know... Um, if you're going to prioritise them, I think it's probably better to start writing to independents and then um, perhaps the minor parties and the libs and the nats um, asking them to fight back. And then, of course, if you've got extra time on your hand, go for the Labor Labor Party as well, who will probably be forced to vote for this anyway along party lines. Um, and, and also there's all the senators as well. And the senators are extremely important because the government has a majority in the House of Representatives, so um, probably we'll just pass through through there. It's the Senate where if the Labor Party and the Greens get together and vote for this, um, they'll need a couple of extras, so they'll need to get a couple of independents or they will need two of the Liberal Party to cross the floor, which is... When you think about how the Liberal Party first came well, came up with this idea when they were going to the previous election, it's not entirely implausible to think that, you know, they could possibly convince a couple of them to cross the floor. So we have to keep hammering away. We have to keep writing to them. We have to keep reminding them that we're the boss and telling them that we will, you know, start with your electorate, of course, and say, I will never vote for you. I could never vote for anyone that would tamper with Australia's freedom of speech in this manner. Uh, and, and that's the main, you know, we do have a bit of extra time by the sounds of things. It's not going to be snuck in, fingers crossed, next week. Um, and that's that if every Australian did that, uh, it's going to have an impact. And it's working. It's delayed the bill already. Yeah, I would add have conversations with your neighbours, have conversations with your colleagues when you go down to the local park or even if you're just chatting to the checkout chick at Coles or Woolies, talk to them about have you heard about this bill? Have you heard about how your freedom of speech will be removed? And if you can multiply the information and share the message because they are not getting it. They are out there trying to work to pay their bills, pay their rent, buy their food. They have no idea what is going on within the government because, you know, they just don't have the time or the bandwidth to take it on. So have those conversations, educate the people around you in your neighbourhood, in your workplace, wherever you can, and get the message out because the more people are aware of it, the more people will look into it and, you know, direct them to the website. They'll get the information and they'll actually take action. So. Absolutely. I'll add that, uh, been the bill, um, link in the show notes for listeners so you can go to that even international listeners on this this is something really important to keep an eye on like i said australia is the canary in the coal mine we set the precedence for the rest of the western world so god forbid if this happens to us at least learn from the mistakes that we make 
or even learn from the ways we're fighting back and we could potentially stop this. Ladies, it's been a fantastic conversation. Thanks for coming on. Thank um, you. Like, thank you. I'd just like to close out with this message and hopefully inspire a few people. We will not go quietly into the night. We will not acquiesce. This may be the final chance we have to use our voices and be heard. So listen close and pay attention. We need you all to spread this message, spread it far and wide, within Australia and abroad. We need your help. We need it now. We may not have much time left. It is time to light the beacons and sound the alarm. It's up to you. I need you. We need you. And most of us all, Australia needs you. We cannot afford to let this happen. For your children's sake, for your grandchildren's sake, let us stand up. Let us be heard. History is calling. And on that note, have a fantastic night, everyone. Hey, everybody, it's closing time. You don't got to go home, but you can't stay here.